podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hybrid of the Cut to the Race and News from the Nerds podcasts. Uh, yeah, I, I am James and I am hosting today because, well, this is why we've ended up with this hybrid. It's been a, a tricky few days uh, for us as a group. Ollie is moving house. Uh, as everyone knows, I, I'm a new dad also in the middle of a sunflower field in the south of France. Sam and Abby also are busy people, but uh, we've managed to get together the three of us for uh, a bit of a bit of both, for a bit of a review and a bit of covering news so we'll crack on as quickly as we can but of course the niceties must be observed sam abby how are you both uh, yeah, I'm, I'm i'm good thank you james uh, i'm i'm looking forward to this hybrid podcast for the hybrid era uh it feels quite fitting nice um thank you thank you very much and also i, I like how you of it. kind of implied that me and abby aren't actually that busy or busy enough to <laughs> have not done the, done the podcast already um but you know feel like it maybe works better with three or four so no slice on either of us, Abby. No, it's good to have all three of us. And James, I must say, being in the middle of a sunflower field seems very nice and calming, but also quite hectic for hay fever. Um, but yeah. I'm glad you're back. And Can confirm. <laughs> As a hay just, fever sufferer, it is, uh, it is pretty rough <laughs> at times. Just don't don't cut off one of your ears. Oh, yeah, nice Van Gogh <laughs> reference. <laughs> why, why not start? He famously right? had hay fever and was just like, oh, this is too much. Lock that off. <laughs> no, the, the, the implication wasn't that he did that because he had hay fever. Although I can imagine hay fever being particularly kind of uh, upset. You'd be more likely to cut your nose off, right? Yes. Yeah. That's... Anyway, <laughs> shall, we, shall we move on? Yeah, let, let's swiftly move on. Um, well, it's it's first things first. It's uh, weekend ratings, isn't it? So, Sam, I'll throw this to you. Did, uh, did this weekend make you want to cut any part of your face off or did you quite enjoy it? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no cutting my nose off despite my face uh, this time. Um, it's, it's difficult with Hungary because everyone looks forward to Hungary, but also it often doesn't throw up the best racing. So you kind of get caught in that, is it good for Hungary or is it, you know, actually not, yeah. is it just pretty average? So using the McKenzie scale, uh, I think I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. And I would, of course, be remiss to uh, not mention uh, the F2 and F3, which always does some heavy lifting. <laughs> okay, Abby, how about you? I've given it a 5.5 out of 10. It had a lot of potential. The weekend started off good, got sadly underwhelming for me. Um, but yeah, it was just a average race, max one, not a lot of overtaking in the grand scheme of things, but five and a half out of 10. 
yeah, I'd, I'd agree with both you guys really. And oh, yeah, I'll go 5.5. It was, it had its moments and yeah. But as ever, it was uh, very clear who was going to win very early on, which does take off at least one point, if not a few more. But before we get into the action, uh, let's get into the quiz. And now it is time for the Formula Nerds quiz for this week. Now, of course, that is over to Abby. Uh, Abby, what have you got in store for us this week? Well, considering that Red Bull broke the record for the most number of consecutive race wins at the Hungarian Grand Prix, it is a Red Bull-themed quiz for you guys this week. Yay! I mean, I'd love to hear Sam (laughs) speak French, which I, I didn't get to hear, but maybe another week. Rouge! Cow. <laughs> Sorry, do you think the French for bull is cow? You saw it so well. Rouge, cow. I don't know, but I do know that apparently, I haven't looked it up, Ferrari won 14 consecutive races between 1953 and 1954. So that might be worth looking into. What, and everyone has just missed that record? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe it's just someone tweeted. Maybe someone was just like a shit posting, and I've just, you know, just taken it in passively, like an idiot. Um, I mean, the Indy Five Hundred anyway. would have been there, wouldn't it? So that seems unlikely. Maybe it's without that. Yes, maybe. But anyway, anyway on to the, <laughs> onto the Rouge Cow Quiz. Okay, question one: How many constructors' championships have Red Bull won in total? Five. Yeah. Correct. Four in a row and then last year. Yes. Question two. How many drivers' championships have they won in total? Six. Six. Yes. Four in a row and then 2021 and 2022. Yes. I mean, six and a half and five and a half, realistically, because this year it's half done, isn't yeah. it? If not more. Question three. What Grand Prix was Red Bull's first race? I want the circuit uh, and the year. That'll be the 2005 Australian Grand Prix at Albert Park. Was it 2005? Yes, it was. Because okay. Toro Rosso's was 2006. Okay. Well done. Question four. How many different dro- engine suppliers have Red Bull had? <laughs> okay, so first year was Ferrari. They've also had Renault. No, no, no. First year was Cosworth. Yeah, I was going to say Cosworth, yeah. No, you know what? I don't think they've had Ferrari. I think it was just Toro Rosso. Just Toro Rosso, yeah. So Cosworth, Renault, Red Bull powertrains, Honda. Honda. And then this year is like the merger of the two. Are are we going to go like Aston Martin tag? Are we going to... Is that... Does that count? Uh, This is... There's so many grey areas here. Let's just say five. (laughs) So I actually have it down as six with Cosworth, Ferrari, Renault, Taguawa, Honda, and then Red Bull powertrains. When was Ferrari? The after Cosworth. So seven. So yeah, yeah, maybe it was then. All right. Well, anyway, we were, we were wrong. We'll say that. <laughs> we, we were wrong. Yeah. But we we showed our knowledge in the, in the process. <laughs> the working out counts. was right. Yeah. <laughs> but you'd get you'd get one of two marks for that. 
Question five. Which Red Bull driver achieved his first F1 race win at the 2009 German Grand Prix? Mark Webber. Yeah. Correct. Question six. Currently, the team's name is Oracle Red Bull Racing, but back in 2013, there was another title sponsor of the team. What Infinity. Yeah. Yes. When they were purple. And that's fun. That's maybe peak Red Bull livery for me. No, you're wrong. <laughs> Objectively wrong. <laughs> Objectively I wrong. I like the purple. It was different. No one had a purple car. Anyway, carry on, Obi. We're, we're doing an express quiz. <laughs> Question seven. How many different drivers have raced for Red Bull in Formula One? Oh, come on, right, And the next question is, can okay. you name them? Well, I mean, okay, yeah, right. clearly we're going to anyway. Let's <laughs> work backwards. Cool. Let's go backwards. Okay, okay. It gets harder as you go backwards. Okay, so Verstappen, uh, well Perez. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well done. Should I not really? say it? The man who must not be named, Perez. Voldemort. Um. <laughs> uh, right, and then Albon, Gasly, Ricardo. Ricardo. Vettel, Weber. No, no, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Danny Kvyat. Kvyat, thank you. Just skipping over the torpedo. Uh, right, where did I get to? Vettel and Ricardo, which brings us down to the start of 2009. So. Okay, hang on. No, because, okay, I'm going to have to start counting again because I definitely said. You had right. eight on that list that you had. Okay. And I was up, I, I'd said Weber. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's Weber Vettel is yeah. So Coulthard, and then Liuzzi, mm-hmm. and did Dawn Boss was mm-hmm. he just Dawn Boss? Oh. Yes, because he replaced was it Christian Clean? Thank you for uh, yeah. And I was <laughs> about to say Clean, and Abby has rolled <laughs> our eyes. So I think we've got all of them. You have. There you go. <laughs> How many was that? Twelve. Twelve. Yeah. Twelve. Yeah. So, well done. Question nine. You're not as ruthless as everyone makes out. (laughs) Which race in 2010 saw Red Bull teammates Mark Webber and Sebastian Vettel famously collide? Oh, come on. Turkey. Turkish Grand Prix. You say, oh, come on. I was nine at the time, so I wasn't watching one yet. We discovered that before before we started recording that you weren't even born when 9-11 happened, which is frankly t- a terrifying <laughs> thought uh, but it also means you're not responsible so you know <laughs> cross you off that list oh, thank um, you very much but anyway let's move okay. on final question on his Red Bull debut Verstappen became F1's youngest ever Grand Prix winner which Grand Prix was this and what year 2016 Spanish Grand Prix yes well done you've got 9 out of 10 so well done guys so let's get into this weekend and uh yes we'll we'll get to the red bull dominance that was that quiz was in honor of but before that uh practice quality it didn't start with quite so much red bull dominance did it abby no it certainly didn't in fact in all three practice sessions neither Red Bull managed to go fastest in any of them. So FP1, there wasn't a lot of running on track because the rain did come. But first of all, there was a red flag because Sergio Perez crashed four minutes into the session. He clipped a wheel on the grass, had a massive impact into the wall, brought out the red flags. So the session was then halted for drivers going back into the pits. 
And then the rain came and you had some drivers going back out, but then some not. For example, Verstappen and Hamilton were two that actually stayed in the garages thinking that they wouldn't gain a lot from driving in the wet on the track. But it was Russell, Piastri and Stroll going fastest in that session. FP2, again, not a lot happened. The drivers were just trying out the different tyre compounds, but Red Bull and Mercedes did struggle a little bit in that session and it was Leclerc, Norris and Gasly going fastest and then in FP3 I think it might be the only time this year that we see Hamilton go P1 in a session on track because he went fastest followed by Verstappen and Perez which then proved to make an interesting qualifying. Where Hamilton subsequently then put it P1 in a session. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so it's definitely not the only time. The first time, though. The first, the first time. time. Not not to ruin qualifying so. for anyone. Um, but can, can we quickly cover Sergio Perez? Because yeah, if that isn't a sure sign of pressure, uh, four minutes into a session, I don't know what is. Yeah, four four minutes into a race weekend, let alone like the first session, dip a wheel, rookie mistake, and then he was on the back foot. And I think obviously, you know, it's not out of the question that he will end up half a second or the best part of down on max in qualifying but i think for the rest of the weekend he was driving a little bit more within himself oh Uh, yeah i think that showed because he knew i I assume they had probably one set of the upgraded spare parts and he knew that from three minutes into the weekend oh yeah if if he if he binned it again he was then back to the previous spec so yeah yeah and from the obviously you can't always tell exactly what's going on from, you know, a few clips of him in the, the garage, but it did look pretty frosty in there when mm-hmm. he did return. Uh, it's just the last thing he needed. Um, but again, we'll get on to his qualifying performance, I'm sure, uh, in due course. So, yeah, with that, Abby, can you talk us through qualifying? Yes. So in Q1, track limits became an issue. Several drivers had their track times deleted, but it was Zhou Guan Yu who actually excelled going fastest in the session. But going out, it was Albon, Sonoda, Russell, Kevin Magnussen, and then Sargent. And that meant that it was the first time in four races that AlphaTauri got through to Q2 with Daniel Ricciardo, obviously, who was making his return to F1 last weekend. But Yeah, it's a shame for Mercedes because Hamilton did get through, but it seemed that Mercedes kind of made an error with Russell because of the times that they went out. They went out a lot later and Russell did end up getting caught up in traffic and qualifying P18. I watched it kind of happening. I was was seeing he and and Lewis slide towards that bottom five and thinking, are they going to come out? I remember, I think Martin thought that they left it too late because... Yeah, they hadn't come out and then they did. But it just seemed an unnecessary risk to give one shot. Because especially with track limits at play, a mistake by the drivers, and on this new format that meant that so many people were doing so many laps, yeah, they kind of set themselves up for a fall and Lewis just about got away with it and George didn't. Particularly when you factor in the, 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 that they're on hard tyres as well, that you don't, you very rarely yeah. prep for a hot lap. That's not what they're there for over a weekend traditionally. So that was odd. But if you watch the clip, I mean, George got, you know, funny on the team right. radio. He was clearly not happy, but he was incredibly indecisive. He was hanging back, hanging back. And then even when he then starts to go through the last corner, 
I think it looked like an Alpine or someone else. It was Gasly. Came on, yeah, it came yeah. on. So, so he he went, but he didn't completely go. And yeah, it, unless thing, Gasly was maybe on a, a flyer, actually, and he would have been impeding. But don't think he, he did. The only one on a flyer was Bottas, who came across all those cars. That is the one thing I would say. Like, obviously, the gentleman's agreement that supposedly exists kind of goes out the window uh, in those situations, as we've seen with the extreme version of Monza, extreme example. Uh, but I think the rest is kind of fair game. I think Gasly was like a bit much. Overtaking in the corner uh, was... Yeah, probably a little bit un ungentlemanlike in in that uh, agreement, but equally, it's everyone for their own at that point, isn't it? Well, that's the thing. It's the difference between you getting through and not. You're going to do it, and you're not going to apologise for it. He got through though, and uh, and then qualified P15, uh, which leads happy <laughs> nicely into Q2. How's he that did. For Q? So it was medium tyres, and yes, Gasly did qualify P15, but it was also Sainz, Ocon, Ricardo, and Stroll out, and Sainz was out because his teammate, Leclerc, they were both in the bottom five. Sainz managed to improve, but then when Leclerc managed to improve into Q3, it knocked Sainz out of the session. Yeah, they just lacking a bit of pace again. Just kind of in no man's land. Um, it just is a little bit like they're lacking a bit of zhuzh at the moment. Uh, a bit of that kind of je ne sais quoi, if I had to. I was uh, about to ask what zhuzh was in French, but I guess it shouldn't say quoi, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, je ne sais quoi is, you know, kind of an undefined quality, I, isn't it? I know. <laughs> I know. Obviously, you know, <laughs> but zhuzh is, is a defined, it's, you know, it's... Panache is pizzazz. It's you know, lots of things with Zs in them. Yeah, yeah, yes. Maybe, maybe that's why I keep saying all those words. Please, someone take the microphone. Okay, but who did have Juge in Q three? Abby, Lewis Hamilton. He managed to get pole position for the first time in thirty three races since Saudi Arabia twenty twenty one, and it was a close call. Verstappen set the benchmark. He was P1, had provisional pole. He set a flying lap, couldn't improve. Even when he set a purple sector in sector two, Lewis, no purple sectors on his final lap, and he managed to get pole position with Verstappen lining up on the front row with him and then both McLarens third and fourth. Yeah, I mean, it really tells you that he clearly just threw the car through the lap and... It was yeah, just see that on the totally, replay. you know, it was a, he outperformed the car. You can see that the fact that he wasn't quickest in, in any in any single sector, he just hooked it up. And Hungary is one of those places that when you do that, it is it has the characteristics of a street circuit. There's very few moments where you're not doing something or prepping, coming out of a corner, prepping for the next corner. So that rhythm is incredibly important. And when you get it, you get it. And I think that's what you saw from Lewis's lab. And also Zhou Guanyu, who qualified P5, which was his highest this season. Unfortunately, the rest of his weekend didn't have quite the same positiveness that it should have done. But him and Bottas qualified very well. And Hulkenberg also was in Q3, which is surprising because there's a substantial difference between both the Haas drivers with Hulkenberg out on top. Quite a lot. He's getting there, doesn't he? Six six times this season, I think, that he's been in yeah. Q3. And yeah, the Alphas, I mean, 
where's that pace come from? I even kind of said, like, I had to double check to see if they had an upgrade this weekend, and they didn't. It's yeah. clearly the the characteristics of the circuit is just very, very track specific. Um, because yeah, even you know Bottas was you know outshined by Joe. I think it might even be his his best ever qualifying. To be fair, um, it is. P, yeah, P seven was was still a great result for Bottas, and you know he. I think he then continues his his Q three run here since I think he's never not got to Q3 in Hungary, um, Even which in is, Williams, or maybe... In 2013. Maybe maybe 2013 he didn't, but then since then, obviously, the Williams was competitive way, in 2014. Um, decade. But yeah, exactly, which you wouldn't have put money on going into the weekend, so fair play to them. But to, to, to turn to the other hand, shall we discuss Sergio Perez? Because yes, he broke his... Uh, run of not getting to Q3, but he may as well not have uh, yeah. what four and a half tenths down on on Max in the same car, like lackluster P9. Yeah, his confidence is clearly not back, and uh, that P1 uh, incident clearly further knocks it. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, yeah, I kind of said it a bit earlier on. It's It was clearly playing in his mind. He was playing it safe. But maybe that's what he needed to do. Maybe he just needed a, a clean weekend, which obviously he didn't get. Oh, it was three minutes into, this, into the weekend. But from there on, he just kind of yeah kept it between the white lines, which he, as we know, hasn't always uh, this season. And he got a decent result in the end. Maybe that will be something to build from from here on out. Having spoiled a bit of the race, uh, let's yep. move on to Sunday with, of course, the world-famous Formula Nerds National Anthem Review. Now, I was... I thought it was okay, but I know Sam has some fairly strong opinions. We've we've seen Sam's opinion about national anthems involving children before, so I'm sure when it cut from Martin Brundle to the national anthem and he saw a bunch of kids lined up, it, he, he was thinking already about this this segment of the podcast. It's always in the back of my mind, even on off weeks. I'm thinking about the next national anthem. It's almost a constant. I'm actually slowly going insane uh, from this segment alone. Yeah, as you know, I'm not a fan of... I was going to say I'm not a fan of of children. Um, I'm not a fan of getting kids to to sing national anthems. I think it's played out, right? It's all cute. But this, actually, that wasn't the worst bit. It felt a little bit like playing on the deck of the Titanic as it sinks was the vibe I got from the band. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so You thought it was a child orchestra going down with the ship. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean they would have been on the on the on the lifeboats by that point. So um <laughs> they don't kind of factor into the uh into the analogy here. Uh so I'm I'm putting the kids to one side for now. Yeah yeah I mean the anthem was fine. Uh it was a bit boring. It was a bit morose. But I guess if the national anthem is inherently a bit kind of 
downbeat minor key whatever I don't actually know if it was minor or major key um, maybe James who's the musician can tell me maybe he remembers I don't know uh, but yeah it, meh, it was very meh for me so like a 4 out of 10 4 out of 10 okay having slagged it off for about 3 minutes and compared it to going down on the Titanic uh, on the Mackenzie scale that's fairly generous Abby how about you it was neither amazing nor bad I thought it seemed more like what you'd get at a service like in church rather than at the Hungarian F1 Grand Prix um People were respectful. They were singing the lyrics along with it. There was one guy who was lined up with, like, Dominicali and that who was miming to it. So I've given it a 5 out of 10. <laughs> See, it's just it is bang average, isn't it? Yeah, and that's, like I said at the start, it was just meh. Uh, I don't really remember it, which can't mean it's average. If it's forgettable, it's below average. So I'll meet Sam on the, uh, the 4 out of 10. I've just quickly read through the lyrics and there's nothing there really worth talking about either so yeah four out of ten <laughs> says it all <laughs> well that's what we thought of the anthem but what did we think of the race that followed now it was pretty blockbuster uh in in principle everyone's the first time we've got lewis and max on the front row since that famous day about 18 months ago what was going to happen? Everyone, the what, the internet seemed convinced they were going to crash. Uh, what did you guys think? Did you did you expect contact? I thought they'd get a bit like testy. I didn't think it would be necessarily catastrophic, and I think that's exactly what we saw. It it's a shame that this race wasn't an Olympic event because it was good for hundred meters, and then that was it. Yeah. It was like yeah, Lewis, good getaway. Awful second phase, didn't get across enough. Max did what he needed to do. And from there, Lewis was always going to find it difficult because Max, as we know, likes to take quite a a shallow line into corners uh, when there's someone on the outside, uh, shall we say. And that's what he did. And that opened the door for the ever fast starting Oscar Piastri, who has cat-like reflexes. Um, And then from there, Lewis was on the back foot. Lando took advantage into uh, into turn two and three. And yeah, so that was that, really. Um, but no, I, I didn't think it would be completely, you know, let's smash into each other. But yeah, I thought there would be a little bit of argy-bargy and that's what we got. I was hoping that they didn't take each other out because then that would have just like spoiled the whole thing. Um, and thankfully they didn't. But yeah, like Sam said, there was some like wheel-to-wheel racing between them and a bit of close action, but then... Hamilton ultimately lost that battle and the McLarens went ahead. I feel like it was built up so much. And, oh, Max and Lewis are on the front row again. And I think, like, Ted Kravitz spoke a lot about it on his qualifying notebook, saying, will Max let Lewis pass? And is there going to be a crash? And everyone was so excited that it just, like, made the race a bit meh afterwards because it was built up so much. And then it was just a... Oh, Max has taken the lead again and keeps it and wins. I also don't really get why you'd build it up so much, given that it's not like they're in equal machinery anymore. Even if Lewis had got to turn one first, and it would have been a little bit like Silverstone in the previous race, four or five laps, and then Max would have been through. 
Yeah, I mean, and people were going, oh, you know, it's hard to pass on Hungary. But, okay, well, there's been lots of talk about the, the Red Bull DRS, but it, it came to pass clearly on Sunday that they were the class of the field. And, yeah, I can't imagine Max would have been behind Lewis for, for more than, yeah, three or four laps. I actually, for the record, did think that... Uh, I didn't think there was going to be contact because I thought the Mercs have had such good starts this season, the Red Bulls haven't. I actually thought on one of the shorter runs to the first corner, I thought Lewis would have him covered uh, just from the, the start, but obviously bogged down, as as you mentioned. And conventional wisdom, the outside is traditionally better yeah. uh, to start from. Particularly in Hungary. Hungary, yeah. Mm. Uh, but, I mean, Lewis didn't get the best start, but he did not get the worst start in the field, although it has <laughs> since come to the light. It wasn't his fault. It, it was seemingly something that the team needed to look into. But hero to zero, nonetheless, stuff from Zhou Guan Yu, who barely moved, and then when he did oh. move, barely stopped. It, it was... It was... a it was a really bad start. Like, really bad. He got completely yeah. engulfed straight away. Um, and in fairness, this has been an issue that's plagued Alfa Romeo throughout the, the current generation of cars the last couple of years. They have struggled to get away. Um, and yeah, from there, he was on the back foot and clearly he's been taking tips from Valtteri Bossas um, as to how to execute the first corner in Hungary. A bit of bowling, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Um, you got a feel for Daniel Ricciardo, who was an innocent bystander there on yeah. his F1 return. And it, I mean, could he have got points without that? Who knows? Maybe on a different day. Um, so yeah, obviously Joe then hits the back of Ricciardo, who then himself finds the back of Ocon. Uh, and then you've got the, the fast starting Pierre Gasly, who's coming around the outside, who then, you know, is collected by Ocon, who's kind of thrusted into the air um, in a, an episode that actually broke his seat in two, apparently. Yeah. Uh, so quite a violent um, incident. He has to go to the medical centre. Um, but I mean, yeah, if the Alfa Romeo start was bad, because Bossas, again, ended up getting shuffled down the order in in all the chaos, both the Alpines, were, were the race was run by that the end of that first corner, effectively. Yeah, double DNF for the second time this season through contact, though this time it wasn't their fault. But yeah, a shocker. And I mean, now they're, what, 40 points behind McLaren? Who would have thought that three or four races ago? Definitely not me, because I thought Alpine had P5 in the championship in the bag with the way that McLaren were going. But that's definitely changed now. And it was a shame to see for Joe because he qualified so well. And I feel like he has a lot of potential that is yet to be discovered. But ultimately, things didn't go his way. Yeah, it's been difficult for him because I'm trying to look over at his performances and they've been they've been solid. He's been solid. I think would be a good way of describing it. He I think particularly he's he's fared surprisingly well against Bottas in quali, considering Bottas's quali record against Lewis and in the past. Well, exactly. Like, yeah, he's, he's got a, a, yeah, as you say, a strong qualifying record. It's, you very rarely get an absolute stinker from, from Joe over a weekend. But I don't think his ceiling is necessarily as high as some of those around him. But again, you look down the kind of depth chart, not to get all kind of American sports about this, <laughs> but you look at, say, a Teo Porcher and you go, you know, when Teo's on form, 
yeah, he's he's great. He's really, really strong. But is he on form often enough? Do, like, do you want that? It's almost like when we were talking yeah. about the, the K-Mag versus Hulkenberg debate last week. When Magnuson's on it, he's really on it, but he's not on it often enough. So it's, it, it's difficult to kind of work out where Joe's seat, the future of Joe's seat lies, because I don't think he's performing badly. Enough. He's not performing badly. He's performing well enough to keep his seat, but is he keep is he performing well enough to maybe move on up the grid at any point, or is it going to be a kind of three four year stint and then they go, oh, we're going to try something new? So it's yeah, he's he's got to find a few things to add to his arsenal, I think. Yeah, and of course, Theo Porcher is waiting in the wings as the Sauber Academy driver. So. Well, we're speaking about ceilings and an F2 former drivers and someone who and current drivers. Uh, someone who has gone up against both of those is Oscar Piastri, who clearly has a pretty high ceiling and yeah, found himself in P2 straight off the bat. And why well, he held that down when he looked like he had it covered for the whole of the first stint. And then of course we have this, well, I wouldn't say controversial moment. People thought it at the time, but there was a unintentional it would seem switch around uh amongst the mclaren pair and first set of stops yeah lando comes out sets i mean a hell of an outlap and finds himself just about uh, around the outside of piastri as he comes out a lap later uh how did you feel at this point were you do you feel for oscar did you think oh are they going to try and swap them back now or what were you thinking it's great to see Piastri like equal with Norris in some ways because he has been able to hold his own against him. But yeah, like you say, Piastri was coming out of the pits just as Norris was coming around on his outlap on those tyres. And there was a little battle. Ultimately, Norris did get ahead. Obviously, he was on, um, well, he was on warmer tyres that he'd managed to warm up at that point. But it is a shame that where he started for Piastri in P4, he did end up finishing a place behind because I feel like they had the potential to get a double podium. I think like they did last week, it not last week, um, like they did last time out in Silverstone. But I feel like McLaren at the moment are just trying to do the best that they can. They're not really focusing on one particular driver. They're trying to see what the upgrades can bring. They didn't expect to be that strong here in Hungary. They said that it wasn't a track that suited their car very well but they were proved wrong because Lando got another podium yeah and two very different circuits now where they've performed both very well for those upgrades uh in the race it was a bit of a weird one in that McLaren started out so much stronger seemingly than than Mercedes I mean they had Lewis covered after overtaking him then into the middle stint on the hard tire they just raced away I mean Lewis somehow lost nine seconds through what two laps of the pit stops which is i mean i still don't really understand how that happened uh but then it switched around back later in the race sam yeah and true to, to lewis's qualifying form evidently on low fuel the mercedes came alive over the weekend and yeah, they were able to kind of you know, put in some really good pace, but by that point it was kind of too, too little, too late, and uh, Lewis couldn't kind of reclaim a, a podium position from there. Um, but just to kind of go back to to McLaren quickly, I think at the time I was a little bit like, okay, they've really stiffed Oscar here 
But actually, looking back on it, I think they were just trying to. I don't think it was. There was no kind of nefarious actions. I think they were just trying to cover off strategy wise. Lando being behind is more at risk and balance it out. And the difference you're seeing at the moment between Oscar and, and Lando, I think, is just experience. Really, I think Oscar is performing that well, and he will be in that kind of top tier um, given two or three years like Lando's had. But yeah, the, the McLaren pace was a real surprise here. I was kind of thinking, well, yeah, they look good at Austria. They looked very good at Silverstone. And those are circuits that are quite different from, from Hungary. So could you see more of a kind of uh, an equalisation effect when you get to Hungary? And we didn't. Those are legitimate kind of across the board gains that they have made. Um, and yeah, it's hard to argue that they're not the second best team, even though they did start to kind of lose a bit of pace in that kind of final stint. Um, as you said, yeah, it it looks like they've they've locked in that advantage. So again, we'll have to see how they do this weekend uh, as a kind of true comparison over the month. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting, a very different track again. Uh, but I, I mean, you wouldn't bet against them at this point. They, honestly, the swings, if if Red Bull didn't exist this year, it would be the most fascinating season. We'd have had Aston out of nowhere to the front of the grid, then a few kind of Lewis and Alonso grudge matches. Then you've got uh, a couple of Ferrari wins. Charles would have won. Uh, and yeah, and then Mercedes, couple wins, and then McLaren out of nowhere. It would be quite all right. It, F1 F1.25 is, uh, yeah, fascinating. It's just a shame that, as mentioned, Max was just sailing away into the sunset. Yeah, I mean, you'd even have Alpine in there to a certain degree as well. Um, At times, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It would be be absolutely insane. But I think looking at the Aston Martin, it's interesting because they made those big gains over the the winter. And I think what we're starting to see is just that things correct themselves slightly. They... it's, It's often difficult if you've made those big steps to then kind of retain those big steps. And if you've made gains in a certain area and that has proved particularly fruitful as it did for Aston Martin, you've got to then expect the other teams to make those same relative gains when you're then concentrating on things that maybe they were concentrating on first and it all kind of balances out, comes out in the wash, which is, is ultimately what we've seen here because the Aston, as, as Fernando Alonso said this week, is you know the fifth fastest car on the grid at the moment. Yeah, and that's actually what I was about to get onto. I mean, it was such an anonymous weekend for them. They ended up ninth and tenth. And yeah, I mean, it's amazing to think that what was it, Spain, where Fernando said, Oh, this will be the last time we're off the the podium this year, and that hubris mm. has kind of come back to bite him because yeah. they are they don't look I mean, it's not out of their obviously they're they're a very different team now, but it, it's very reminiscent of twenty twenty racing point coming out of the out of the starting blocks with a hell of a car, which probably was the second best car at that point of the year, except for the fact they had Checo and and Lance and Red Bull had Max. I think, yeah, the the pink. and Mercedes brake ducts, allegedly. Yeah, yeah, the pink Mercedes, yeah. the tracing point, whatever it was, was probably the the <laughs> second best uh, of that season for a fair portion of it and yeah it's surprising maybe with Fernando that they haven't been able to push on more with his experience but I think it's clear that yeah they are now at the back end of that yeah best of the rest and like, do you remember the start of the season when we were kind of talking about how there's four clear front-running teams obviously the current top five discluding McLaren which leaves what P9 P10 
maybe fastest lap. So up to four points um, for at that point, McLaren Alpine, and then the, the teams that have all kind of converged in that midfield. There's then the kind of second cohort, which is a lot closer than it has been. And there's no back marker traditionally, but with the McLaren's gains and the steps they've taken, you're now almost relying yeah. on, and this is Alpine in this group, are relying on reliability or mistakes to even score points. And so it's it's going to be a real slog over the the second half of the season for that um, those five teams that are you know on the outside looking in. Yeah, and I mean you could get Alex Albon stealing a couple of points in a Williams maybe next week uh, and uh, Italy at those tracks, but yeah, no, certainly. And someone else uh, quickly who had a pretty anonymous weekend was Ferrari. Abby, what did you what did you think? To be honest, it was just Ferrari. I thought they would do amazing this season, start off well, be right up there, but they're not. And then they had issues all throughout the race. Leclerc got a penalty for speeding in the pit lane. He finished ahead of science. I think it was like 0.007 seconds ahead of science, which makes you question whether science actually got told about the penalty or not Hmm. um but i it just was very classic ferrari and i feel like there's so much potential in the drivers and the team but they just keep doing little things that don't work out in their favor and it is a shame to see because it it's ferrari in f1 and you have charles leclerc who's been dubbed a future world champion but at the moment i think they're like are they fourth in the championship it's yeah it's not looking like they've found any improvements throughout the whole season where mercedes have mclaren have red bull are up there aston did but now they're a bit more level with ferrari and it's it's just a shame yeah, it's amazing that, you know, that with the fall that we were just discussing from Aston, that Ferrari still haven't passed them in the constructors. And, you know, they've been picking up single-digit points for the last couple of weekends, and yet Ferrari have, yeah, barely done any better. Um, but that's enough uh, negativity. Let, let's let's move on to some positivity. And, well, we mentioned him earlier. It didn't start too well for, for Danny Rick, but he he somehow made it work. I can't believe that he man- managed to out-finish Sonoda given that start. He was down to P18 by the yeah. end of the first lap. And Sonoda, as we know, has had you know, a decent season. He's had good relative pace. Yeah, I mean, everyone's been... You know, some people put him in the top three. I remember in that uh, question at the press conference. Uh, I mean, obviously, Nick DeVries did. That was in his interest. But I think uh, maybe Nico Hulkenberg agreed with him or someone. But yeah, and Danny Bricks come straight in and... I agree. It looked like his race was over between that and then he had a a weird 10-lap stint on the hard, was it, and then went to the mediums and you thought, oh God, it's going to be a painful one running around at the back. And then, yeah, same as you, I kind of five, 10 laps left, I was like, what do you mean he's still 13th? I kind of assumed he'd have pitted again and fallen to the back, but he just somehow stretched out those mediums for like 40 laps. Yeah, he just found a, a rhythm with it, a pace to it. Because, yeah, as you said, like those hards were clearly just not working for him. To take them off after 10 laps is is a bold thing to do. Um, you'd probably want to kind of balance out 
you know, the, the, the stints more than that. Um, obviously they didn't feel that they could, but yeah, he just, it was a, it was a quiet, quiet, unassuming drive from him, but one that was clearly effective. And as I kind of said earlier in the show, you, you've got to wonder what could have been had he not had that been involved in or caught up in that instant on, on the first corner. Yeah. Uh, it also makes me wonder, I mean, maybe he just realised the, the hards weren't really working with the car and just decided nothing to lose, chance it. Uh, maybe Mercedes should have done that. Clearly the hards were horrible on their car. If they could have made the, the mediums last for 30, 40 laps, we saw the pace they had at the end. Who knows what they could have done. Um, but focus back on Danny Rick. And do you think this applies pressure more so even to, to Checo, Abby? I think at the moment, Red Bull are quite happy with Checo being where he is. Obviously, we've mentioned before, they're kind of going for an arm around the shoulder kind of approach, which you wouldn't necessarily expect from them. They were very confident and adamant that he would return to form. And despite what happened in FP1 and qualifying, he did manage to get another podium. And... It's good to see him back up there. I think with Ricardo, he said that he was using the Hungarian Grand Prix as more of like a learning experience again because he hasn't driven the Alpha Tauri car before this weekend. But he did manage to hold his own. I think what it does is it puts the pressure more on Sonoda, in my view, because Sonoda was he was under pressure at the beginning of this season to be a bit more calm and a bit more collected and perform. And he has managed to do that. But now you have Danny Rick coming in, who obviously has more experience in F1, but I think he will be the one that will stay within Red, like within the Red Bull family and have a seat. It's Checo and Sonoda who are under pressure, but at the moment, I think Checo's safe. If he can continue what he his performance as what he did in the race on Sunday throughout the rest of the season. If he doesn't, then you start questioning whether Ricardo will partner Max again or someone else like Lawson. I think that's spawning. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's in Sergio's hands. If he can perform, why make that change? Why pay out pay off his contracts? He's got that for next year already. Just leave things as they are. But for Sonoda, all those steps that we've talked about him making and all this, you know, the mature drive and look how you know much better he's doing than than Nick DeVries. If Daniel Ricardo comes in straight away and is outperforming him, that doesn't bode well. Um surely at that point Alpha Tauri or whoever they become go, well, this guy isn't ever going to step forward. Daniel Ricardo is next in that pecking order, but he's not getting younger. He's in his mid thirties by this point. Do you put Liam Lawson in the car and, and see where we go from there because he can then learn from Daniel Ricardo. So yeah, I think it's Sonoda who's really kind of actually, how the weekend has unfolded is a bit of a U-turn in that sense that Perez just needs to do him. He just needs to focus on himself. But it's Yuki Sonoda that all of a sudden is on the chopping block. Uh, and I don't think any of us really expected that. As for Ricardo, I think what you were seeing there, and, and Alfred Zauri said this over the weekend, he was having fun, he was enjoying himself. And that is what Daniel needs to get the best out of himself. And that's what we saw there. There was no pressure. He was going out. He was seeing, you know, how the car responded, you know, all the various, you know, kind of get, getting back into the the flow and the swing of it. Um, and I read a fantastic piece that was talking about 
why it maybe didn't work at McLaren. And obviously some of it that, that sits with Daniel Ricciardo. He has to own his failures there. But also the way that McLaren coached their drivers and the level of information, whereas Daniel's more of an instinctive driver, acts on feel, doesn't need to know every single kind of specific it's almost like there was too much going on. There's too much tutelage, too much information. Just overthinking it, it. Exactly. And and that paired with a car that was counter how Daniel likes to drive. It was you know, kind of a nervous front end, which made it difficult to kind of have confidence in the rear stability through a corner and thus losing, you know, ultimate pace. It's funny because the Alfa Tauri in some ways, has similar characteristics by all counts. So how there's differences, or after one race, and I guess we, we need more races to have a representative sample. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, he's looked comfortable so far. He's It's looked like, a, on first instinct, a good decision from Alfa Tauri. Yeah, and it'll be fascinating to see how it, it goes through the season. It's a great point, really, about Sonoda. And yeah, obviously, the, the media have been focused on Perez because that's the big story and it's oh who could get into the you know one of the best cars ever uh but yeah no I think you're right if Danny comes in and yeah he's the perfect he can just sit in that Alpha Tauri seat Alpha Tauri seat is a uh, a benchmark uh, as they had kind of Carlos there for a couple of years to to come in and test people against and yeah that would make perfect sense and if he comes in and beats Zenoda I'm pretty sure that's what they would do but yeah let's uh Let's talk about Red Bull. Uh, we, Despite them dominating the weekend for the most part, once again, haven't really spoken about them because, yeah, I mean, Max just sailed away, as mentioned, finished over half a minute clear, didn't need to come in for a, a late pit stop for a fastest lap because he already had it anyway, by comfortably over a second, I think, to what anyone else could do, showing just how much he had in reserve. Checo recovered from ninth to third and picked up a, you could say unwarranted driver of the day. I would say unwarranted. He's taken a rocket ship to the minimum, the bare minimum, and only just held off Lewis on a late charge at the end. Uh, but anyway, we'll we'll come on to our driver of the days shortly. Drivers of the day shortly. Uh, yeah, I mean, Red Bull, what can you say? Certain new record, 12 consecutive wins, unless you believe uh, <laughs> Sam's <laughs> earlier stat about 15 like, for Horry like wins. Misinformation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fake news. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's just, I mean, and then setting a, a sub two a second pit stop as well. It's just, you know, they're such a well-oiled machine at this point. There's little to add, really. Oh, that's the thing. They do the little things right. And, you know, it's a, you know, a bit of an adage that, excuse the kind of ish pun, that if you do all the little things right, they add up and it makes a difference. Um, and that is Red Bull, right? They, they execute. Um, and they have to because Mercedes in their dominance, executed everything with complete precision. So Red Bull, you have to raise your level, and that's what we're now seeing from them constantly, except for maybe their second driver. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. He shouldn't be in those positions to start with. So that's why it makes it difficult to them be like, yeah, drive of the day. But on Red Bull generally, this was the first time all season that we've seen them have to make a compromise. This is the first time we've heard them talk about yeah, where well, we uh, set up the car with with Sunday in mind. We compromised on ultimate pace on Saturday. And that's why, you know, Mercedes were able to get poles, so on and so forth. Undeniably, the gap is shrinking. As we would expect, teams are starting to make those gains. It's converging at the top. But are any of them going to be able to make enough of an indent to actually win a race this season? 
we're halfway through the year. Like, you know, I don't want to bet against Red Bull at this stage, do you? No. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to say that there would be another race winner this year, other than Perez or Verstappen. I feel like F1 needs that. I'm hoping that Brazil would be, like, Lewis would be able to take the win at Brazil, given that he does amazingly at that track. But no, Red Bull were just in a league of their own. I think their pit, their fastest pit stop was like 1.98 seconds. And when you compare it to Ferrari, who had one that was 9.4 seconds, that's there's just something about Red Bull that they just continue to dominate and like excel at everything. And yeah, Perez, he qualified P9 and he managed to get through to the podium. It's not a massive way. I mean, if you take Georgie, qualified p18 and managed to get to like p6 i think so he had more cars to overtake but max did what max does and perez managed to show an improvement from previous races which was good to see yeah i mean i remember when we spoke about this early in the season the potential of them going unbeaten and i said then i'm sure that something will come up it always does even in the the dominant mercedes stuff came up it it's starting to look like that might not happen i i still i will stick to that because purely because checo has struggled so much all it takes is one mechanical failure for max and they do look pretty bulletproof but it's a long season we're only halfway through it uh all one crazy scenario we've seen that you know <laughs> enough times where italy 2020 that ended up with gasly winning that was a, a dominant lewis mercedes day until a bunch of weird stuff and pit lanes being closed and stuff happened you could argue maybe red bull wouldn't make that same mistake uh, the way they are at the moment but yeah we'll just have to wait and see <laughs> Right, we're going to race on to some news, so we'll quickly go through our drivers of the day. Uh, Abby, I'll throw to you first. See, I came up with four just in case my ones got stolen <laughs> like last time. I love how you've chosen four, even though there's three of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was in case Ollie could join, but obviously he's not here. Um, so I would say that my first driver of the day is Lando Norris, because... He managed to get another podium. The first time that he's got two consecutive podiums, he is performing in that McLaren very well, holds his own against those who are supposedly in quicker and better cars than himself. And yeah, he impressed me. I'm I'm gonna unironically on anything George Russell. No, 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 because he actually could. That's, no, uh, he genuinely could win drive of the day. Um, my drive of the day is Max Verstappen. Right, okay. Yeah, I mean, I had three in my head, and now two of them have gone, so that's left me with one. You, you make your point before I do mine. Before you say George Russell, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was exactly what we expect from Max Verstappen. It's exactly what we get every race from Max Verstappen. But... The start, he had to execute that, and he did. And it it just, you know, and it wouldn't have ultimately mattered in the grand scheme of things, but he did it anyway, and fair play to him. He could have just gone, you know what, I'm just going to coast down there, see what's happening, see see where Valtteri's about, uh, and then, you know, kind of see how we go. But no, he did what he needs to do off the start, made, took advantage of Lewis having a difficult second phase, got into position and controlled it from there 
And actually, I think what was kind of quite enjoyable was that he was saying how much he was enjoying the last stint. He was like, on the radio, he was like, oh, I was actually having fun out there. I was really enjoying it. And that says some bad stuff about the sport in the sense that drivers shouldn't be enjoying themselves. You know, like they obviously they should enjoy their their jobs and they should, should want to be stressed to in the the final few laps can I, oh am i gonna yeah. hang on yeah yes exactly it should be you know, you're on tender hooks like it's it should be properly kind of and it's not right and that's not his fault he is on another level his car's on another level this is what you expect but it was really nice to hear a different side of max verstappen at the end of the race um so i think um i'm gonna give it to max verstappen um and also for taking it so well when his trophy was mercilessly <laughs> destroyed on the podium uh, at the end of the race. Yeah, uh, that would be my one point against Lando and why I will choose George Russell, not just because Abby uh, already picked Lando. Funny, really, that Abby has chosen George so many times, <laughs> very controversially, <laughs> and the most nailed on one, I would say, in a while. Uh, she goes with Lando. But no, they're both worthy choices. All three uh, are worthy choices. And yeah, I think George did. It was a great recovery drive, particularly, it looked like he'd stalled a bit um, in those final, uh, I don't know, with maybe 10 laps left, he looked like he was stuck behind Carlos and then just, yeah, turned up the wick a bit and claimed six uh very respectable and yeah aside from a bit of indecisiveness and overly polite britishness maybe at the last corner of yeah on q3 uh q1 sorry yeah he uh had a pretty decent recovery uh and was pretty blameless in the first place so those are our drivers of the day let's not bother with the points we're in a rush and everyone knows that it's just max and red bull respectively with double the tallies of everyone else so instead uh abby i'll throw to you for uh yeah the the news and that is what what can we expect at the belgian grand prix coming up this weekend and there are some discussions uh about the future of f1 uh feel free to to talk us through some of them Yes, so it is the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa-Francorchamps this weekend, and it is F1, F2 and F3. And a side note, F1 Academy is also racing this weekend, but in at Paul Ricard for their penultimate round of the season. But going to Spa, it is the third sprint race weekend. So we do have the sprint Saturday with... Yay! Sam's Whee! very happy about that. Um, <laughs> with Quali on Friday and then... Sprint quali and then the sprint race on Saturday before the Grand Prix on Sunday, which is at 2pm UK time. But the F1 Commission is meeting this weekend on Friday as well. And they're going to be talking about engine equalisation as one of their talking points amongst like the tyre blankets, which are still being debated whether they're going to be removed for 2024 or not. But the engine equalisation comes about after Alpine have raised concerns that their Renault engine isn't level with rival teams and that it is 20 to 33 horsepower lower in performance. And the FIA conducted an analysis of the other team's power units compared to Alpine's and have decided that a conversation is needed. So obviously the regulations can't be changed. You can't actually alter your engine in terms of performance only in reliability and safety regards so that's going up for discussion so we could potentially see all f1 teams having an equal engine after 2025 no i don't like it (laughs) 
I don't, I don't want to like sound, it and I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't want to sound overtly Machiavellian, but Alpine didn't do enough. Uh, didn't do a good enough job. You got beat. You know that's how it works. Your engine's not as yeah hasn't got as many brake horsepower. That's your fault. Why? Why should F one equalize that? Why should other teams be nerfed if they're further on development? Blah 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 blah. All those other factors involved. This is part of F1. It's not F2 for a reason. So, look, if you, you know, why not just make it a spec series then? If you're going to equal the engines, why not just say, all right, you know, official engine supplier of the Formula One grid, Mercedes or Rebel Powertrains or Honda or whoever? It t- totally negates the point. So, no, I don't like it. I don't want it. Yeah, it's funny. It's ironic, really, considering there was a lot of, uh, yeah, I used the word earlier, but it's it's applicable again, hubris from Renault in the past saying, remember, they boasted they were the first to reach 1000 horsepower. Uh, I remember and everyone was like, oh, really? Uh, but now they're claiming they need help getting a, a leg up to be equal with everyone else. I just don't buy it because, yeah, with all the Audi and potential you know forward however much it's going to be coming into the sport for these new engine regulations why would they be doing so just to then have a level engine with everyone else i just don't i don't get it it's an idea thank you i'm glad we're on the same page abby i hope you agree do you agree? I do agree i don't have anything more to add on that topic so <laughs> to be fair i've been so kind of like animated about this i feel like you maybe felt like you couldn't not agree given how colorful i was in my opinion um <laughs> So next up, we have we're back onto tire blankets again. I know we've covered this a few times at various points over the year, um, but the talk's been ongoing. As we know, Pirelli believes that they've proved enough that having tires without them will work. Um, it will be discussed by the F1 Commission this coming weekend because, although we're halfway through the season, it's starting to get to the point where teams are going to need to be able, they're going to need to know which way we're going on this to prepare for next season. And the current 2024 regs say, say that they will be used, but the FIA have yet to decide whether Pirelli has done enough. Um, and once they have decided that critically, that's when they'll put it to the F1 team bosses for a vote on next season. As we know, the removal of tyre blankets for wet tyres was introduced this year and I was first used in Monaco. Um, it's believed that the blanket-free intermediate tyres will be accepted for 2024, uh, regardless after being denied for the remainder of this season. So we're in this kind of halfway house at this stage. Essentially, teams believe that the blanket-free tyre tests need to be tested at other circuits, um, more than just Bahrain, Silverstone and Spain, uh, where it's fairly easy to get heat into the tyres, so not necessarily a representative sample across the year when you extrapolate it. Um, But Pirelli still, regardless of that, remain uh, pretty confident. They've said, in general, we're happy and we have defined a document for evaluation of the F1 commission by the team principals. So we are where we wanted to be at this point of the season. Then obviously we have other tests. We have Spa, then we have Monza, then we have the in-competition tests. The development phase is not yet finished. So we have something to test, some new compounds. Construction is almost finished. Also, as we know, this comes in a difficult time for Pirelli because the tyre tender is up. So currently F1 is... Um, 
trying to decide whether or not to stick with Pirelli moving forward um, when the current contract ends. And Bridgestone have thrown their hat in the ring. Obviously, they've had some success in the past. Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso have both spoken to how much they enjoyed the Bridgestone tyre compounds when they were last in F1, I think it was 2009. Um, James, I'm sure, can uh, correct me on that if I'm wrong. So, guys, what are your feelings about the tyre blankets? Do you think it's worth the change? Do you think there's just too much uh, stress and aggro involved in this? Or ultimately, do you think Pirelli are right and that this is something they should be pushing for? I think it is causing some unnecessary stress because we've seen drivers not necessarily complain, but they have had some apprehension with regards to them. I know Russell, I think, earlier this year when they were testing them, he wasn't particularly keen on them. Obviously, like you said, Sam, they are being tested in Spa and Monza, but obviously if Bridgestone comes in, then the Monza test won't happen. It's it's something that I'm not really fussed about, in my opinion, whether they have tyre blankets or not, as long as it works and is the drivers are happy and the teams are happy and it makes good racing in terms of the Grand Prix, then... I'm happy, but it'll be interesting to see what the team bosses decide because I know that there was, like, the general consensus was to keep tyre blankets. But, yeah, it'll be interesting what the outcome actually is. Yeah, I'm still a bit torn on it. Um, I know there's been a bit of pushback from the drivers and some have said it's unsafe. Maybe they're just wary of of binning it and not being able to push on an outlap. Um, I feel like it, it could be an interesting curveball for them to have to deal with but I mean they know better than anyone so it's trying to figure out if it's yeah them protecting themselves or them having very valid concerns about safety um but I think maybe yeah, a few more tests with a few more different teams and drivers I know yeah we've had at least one tested out so far although I think Daniel spun on his uh blanketless test I think that was during that run um but either way yeah i think a bit more research to be done and i'll trust them to make the correct decision and yeah it could be interesting though if they if they are blanketless so we'll move on to our our final bit of news which is mclaren uh despite having you know performed as well as we've mentioned previously have more upgrades to come is that right Yes, that is. So obviously McLaren bought upgrades in Austria, including revised side pods and a new floor design. And then at Silverstone, they bought a revised front wing and nose and an evolved rear suspension. And then there was a third lot of upgrades scheduled for Hungary, but that has now been pushed back due to the longer production times for the parts. So that will be introduced after the summer break, obviously, we have Spa this week and then the summer break before returning to Zanvo. And Zach Brown has admitted that McLaren are not finished with their upgrades yet. But at the moment, they are focusing ahead on for 2024 because obviously the regulations stay the same. So what they can learn from this year, they can then take forward. So he said, we're pretty much staying the same. Everything that we're learning this season applies then to next season. So we're head down, we're full throttle. We have more developments coming. We'll have some stuff, some big stuff later in the year. And I think we just keep pushing. We see how quickly it can change. You look at Alfa Romeo, they were ninth, 10th in the championship, and then they were quick in qualifying. And Williams has been in Q3. So it's close. I don't think we can sit here and presume anything. 
But one thing that is clear is that McLaren are not giving up and are definitely trying to develop their car and get back to race winning ways. I almost feel bad for doubting them now. Early in the season, they came out and they were like, very much kind of, you know, bucking the trend that you see in F1, where it's all like, you know, very, it kind of mirrors politics um, in the sense that it's become a, a you know, de- deny any wrongdoing, just completely kind of no answer, no comment it. No, we're all good. We're fine. Um, and they came out and were like, we messed up. We got things slightly wrong. We're not where we want to be. So don't, so that's what you can expect early in the season. Almost shone a light on the fact that they are they are human. They are a team of humans and a mistake was made, which was quite refreshing. And I remember kind of being a little bit like, I'm not particularly impressed by those mis- the fact that you've made those mistakes when other teams seemingly haven't and where they ended up. And then Baku came and they were like, yeah, upgrades. And it didn't really kind of do much. And they were you know, making their kind of usual way forward as they were last season. But they looked like they'd really kind of taken a step back from where they were th- two or three years ago. Um, so I now feel bad because they've made seemingly real steps forward now whether or not they go the same way as Aston Martin and kind of filter back, shuffle back down slightly, who knows? But I mean, yeah, they, they could actually be the ones, not Aston Martin, who make those kind of sustained and lasting improvements. Do you remember how uh, everyone said Mika Hakkinen was insane when he came out and backed them to, I can't remember exactly what his claim was now, but yeah, it was either it was kind big. of make consistent po- podiums or something, I-, I think, before the end of the year. And everyone said, yeah, you're nuts. And yeah, he's been proven like, well, that maybe knows what he's talking about as a double world champion. Uh, you know, yeah. I agree. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it, it really, you know, at the start of the year, it's like, well, Lando's off, isn't he? He's not going to hang about in this piece of crap car. And now here we are a few months later and it's a totally yeah. different story. Uh, but yeah, I think they've, yeah, they've really, really done a great job and I look forward to seeing where they can go from here. Uh, but where we can go from here is, uh, well, I'd say home, but we're all at home. So yeah, it's towards the end of the show. Uh, I think that's it. Race reviewed, news reviewed. Good job, everyone. That was uh, a lot to get through and I think we've done a pretty decent job. Uh, thank you both for joining me and being such great company as ever. Thanks very much. It was lovely to have you back as as host, hybrid host of the merged show uh yeah hybrid host lovely with the hybrid you. most lovely to yes. see you too uh and you abby it was lovely to have you back and yes i think considering everything that we've covered we we did a good job yeah and well we'll see if it's a, a more regular setup next weekend because obviously as we've mentioned it is belgium it's also the season finale of formula e it's rounds 15 and 16 from london and Jake Dennis could wrap up his first Formula E title. So there will be some eyes there um, over the weekend as well. Including your own? Including my own, yes. I will be at, um, I'll be at East, be in East London, um, very, very East London uh, for that at the XL Centre. Yeah, uh, no, it should be a great weekend of motorsport and we'll be back soon to talk about it. So, yeah, all the usual stuff, you know where to go, formulanerds.com, check out all the latest news and we'll be back with a new podcast for you very soon. So until then, thank you for joining us and goodbye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. 
It's lights out, and away we go! Sports Social Podcast Network.